Hi friends, it's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one-stop shop for creativity where our doors are open. And if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free five-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality energy, and possibility in your creative process. Whether you're a writer, a performer, a baker, a candlestick maker, navigating the creative process can be a bear. But never fear, there's power in numbers at the Spark File. So let's link arms and make the trip together. It's May 13th through 17th, 7 p.m. Eastern, less than one hour per day. And if you can't join live, don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with The Spark File, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the Brave Creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th. Thesparkfile.com. Register now. The Sparkfile podcast may contain profanity and other adult content. Please use your discretion. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in my spark file. To be something that I wanna make or how I wanna be, I pump it in my spark file. I jump into my spark file. Let's open up the spark Can I tell you something that I have not stopped <laughs> thinking about since the last time we spoke? Yes. After you told the free solo story. Yes, I did. And you know the piece about um, right hand on the jug, move yes. the foot to the watch out for the boulder yes, problem. That's right. I was like, somebody should option that and write a musical. <gasps> somebody should option that and write a musical. And oh I, my God. I had this vision. If you had a really, really oh. good inventive director who maybe the um, the wall, just the whole set is yes. just a wall of that like LED where you can do big images mm-hmm. and the the guy playing the climber could almost stay still and the images and could yes, move around. Yes. And I imagined a song where that whole like... <gasps> Maybe it's called the boulder problem. The boulder like where, problem. Where, yeah, where he, um, you know, those that sort of like right hand check. Da, 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 I am da. so into this. I I could. I, I'm not the person to write this, but I hope somebody is the person to write this because I yeah. was like, the that's a big I want, and it's a big man versus nature. It is, but and and but <laughs> yes, um, and. yes and but. Um, <laughs> I don't think I spent a lot of time on it in the spark, but in the movie, if you were to option it, there's also this relationship story going on. And I know we touched on it a little Mm. bit, but like, what are you entitled to when you fall in love with someone who has a dream that puts them in danger? And like, there's a whole B plot in there there. about 
this love and if yeah. he really loves her would he still climb that mountain yeah. i mean you got a lot going I on there i feel like with a really inventive um director and a, a re- sorry a really directive really um what's the word inspired authors you could oh make something really fucking cool out of that susan you know why i love that you said that because it is truly like why we want to do this podcast. That idea right there, that's free for the taking. Yeah. I don't think I'm either not doing it. Susan and I are not Cam optioning doing it. free solo, but someone Somebody could. Should. Oh, hey. Oh, sorry. Hi. Welcome to the Spark <laughs> <laughs> We're just talking. We're just that's chatting. Right. We, well, are. we have to tell you, um, this is the Spark File. This that's is right. your one-stop shop for creative inspiration. <laughs> that's right. I'm Laura Camion. I'm Susan Blackwell. We're makers who make all kinds of things. And if you're like us and you're making lots of stuff all the time, you know that sometimes the fish pond of inspiration can get a little tapped out. So baby cams and I are on the lookout for fresh ideas, <laughs> images, inspiration that sparks our creativity and piques our curiosity, <laughs> things that inspire us to get off our asses and make things like this podcast uh, yes or um uh, or a, a documentary film oh that's right or a musical based on that documentary <laughs> film <laughs> so every that's episode right. we're going to reach into that spark file we're going to exchange some sparks then we're going to maybe talk to some folks who spark us too mm-hmm. and if you're not careful you might just get your fish pond restocked that's right. <laughs> get your block rocked and your fish pond restocked <laughs> so without further ado let's open up that spark mm, file let's spark it up I um, feel, you know I how feel you know the drill you know how it works every episode um i bring a fresh spark to baby cam cams <laughs> she surprises me with a fresh spark that she's brought to me um, and we just correct. have an exchange of ideas, a meeting That's of right. the minds. And they're all free for the taking. Yeah. We'll say it again. Except, I mean, you know, you have to deal with the legal ramifications That's right. That. If they're not ours, we can't really give them away. You but anything the that we rights, say, baby. please. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, do you, who wants to go first? I'll go first. Oh, my God. Oh my God. I get nervous because I'm just going to sit back and take it. Normally I go first. I mean, normally you go first and I like kind of get lost in your spark and then and it comes and time. And yeah. Talk. And I'm like just with you hanging out and then you're like, are you ready to go? I'm like, oh shit. Wait, I have to go? Oh wait, yeah. me? What? Uh-huh. Um, but today that all changes right now. This is my, f- I have to tell you how much I look forward to this because it's like, it's like get it. It's a like getting a story sprung on. Yeah, I love it. Well, girl, I hope you love this. I just realized I forgot to come up with a clever little name. Oh. You know, I like my little Nancy Drew mystery <laughs> names. I don't have the one case today. Of the dilapidated <laughs> organ grinder. Can that be it? I don't think that's a match for this one, but um, but uh, yeah, we'll come up with something in the process of talking about great. it. We'll go back great, and give great. it a title. Yes. We're working in real time. Um, but this week, my spark is a word. And oh. it's a word. Now, it became, I think, a buzzword like a few years back. So, uh, you know, people might like eye roll. You might eye roll and be like, yeah. But I don't know where I was a few years back because I didn't hear it. The word is Mokita. Girl. Mokita. Do you know what this word no. is? Okay. So everybody can eye roll right Mokita. Both. It's a frou-frou drink that you get when you're on vacation. I'm kidding. Uh, it's not. I was like, that's a mojito. <laughs> I know. A mo- it's but not you're a saying mojita. Mojita. Could, could you spell it? I'm going to spell it. Could you M- use it in a sense? <laughs> but first. Its origin, please. M-O-K-I-T-A. 
A. Just like it sounds. That's my spelling bee voice. It's not a city in Indiana. (laughs) It's not a small town. Okay. So, Mokita is a word um, from a language that's spoken in Papua New Guinea. Okay. The meaning of the word is the truth we all know but agree not to talk about. Oh, girl. Let that sink in. I'm writing it down. I'm writing it down. It's the truth we all know, but we agree not to talk about it. Okay. Jesus. Sometimes, um, you know, sometimes in different cultures, there's different phrases like uh, the elephant in the room, that kind of thing. And it could be that simple that you can all literally see it. But no one's going to talk about it. Um, but, you know, like as a writer, these things fascinate me. Yeah. Like when I see them used to great effect in in plays or um, or in real life, honestly, like yeah. I, I can like watch a watch a thing go down and just be like, really? And I was that kid. I don't know about you. When I was younger, like I was that kid who if I could sense something was happening in the room, like if I could walk in and like my parents were obviously fighting or like yeah. mom and dad are fighting. No, they're not. Shut up. Shut up. And I'd be like, oh. no, I, they're like, obviously they're fighting. Something's wrong. Everyone's fighting. And and literally would be like, shut up. We are not talking about wait, it. Wait, are you saying that you would be take that position? Yes. I mean, because I just was, I think, a, a sensitive being yeah, that yeah. could sense things. Cam's is sensitive and we love her for oh, it. You are, I tears, love it. You could hear my tears on this podcast. I love it about um, you. Thank you. I've I've learned to love it because I, I it can't be changed. So I've embraced it. <laughs> Here comes the waterworks. <laughs> no, or I'm Wes, love- I'll be like, babe, I'm crying right now, but I'm fine. I Let's know. just talk through this. These tears are just, I, it's just water. It doesn't scare me. Does oh, not scare I love me. that about yeah. you. Um, but I was that kid, and I was I was like the middle child, and I think my sister learned really early, like what to talk about, what not to talk about. She just she learned a different yeah, yeah. Uh, coping, coping mechanism. Yep, yep, yep. And I was like, Mm-mm, we're we're telling the truth. We're getting it all out. So you were a. This is what's happening. We're we're telling the truth about it, and we're observing it. Oh, if I observed it, yeah, yeah, you then I would speak I thought, it. I misunderstood. Yeah. I thought yeah. you were saying that you were the one that was like, "We shan't speak of it." Oh no, 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 oh no, no, no. You were like, no. "We shall record it and it. put it into a play <laughs> in twenty <laughs> years. Right. We will talk about it sooner <laughs> or later, maybe later." <laughs> but so she's like, true. "I'll put it on my Spark file. I'll put it in my satchel for later." It's so true. But like, um, just really, really general examples. And we'll get more in detail, but like, like, um, if you had a, a party, like someone's, um, sweet 16 and their parents are divorced and everyone is aware of like divorced parents, mom's in that corner, dad's in that corner, but we're not going to talk about it, but we, we all have an awareness of it. Um, and we all know the truth. They're not speaking to each other. He brought his hussy girlfriend and mom's mad. You know, like we just all know these things. We don't speak of it. Um, but it could also be like, and I want to get into this later, but it could be claims. This, this is more painful to me when I see things or when I experience things like this, like, um, if someone has says, um, I'm going to quit drinking or I'm, I'm going to lose 20 pounds and you can almost sense sometimes this collective, we all know the truth about that. You're not Ugh. going to stop drinking. 
but we're not going to say anything. Those are more painful moments for me. And I, on film or in a show, you know, like the, those moments are juicy. I think there's a lot, there's a lot there. Interesting. So here's some other examples. Um, in the office, there are times when like an older person who's closer to retirement, perhaps maybe they're losing their edge a little bit, uh-huh. their memory, uh-huh. they're making some mistakes, uh-huh. but they're beloved. Yes. And so others fix it for them, cover oh, up for wow. them. They don't mention it. Um this is a fun fact. Warren Buffett actually put systems in place in his company to make sure that that doesn't happen to him. So, yeah, he has like this, he calls it take the keys away because he doesn't want the company that he built. (laughs) Take the keys away. Take the keys away. Oh my God. He doesn't want the company that he built to go down the drain just because no one will say no to him. Stand up to him and and say, Grandpa. Grandpa, Gramps, it's time to go. You're driving into the median. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was interesting, but I thought that was also like a really sweet version of it. Like we all know this, but we're, you know, he's a year away from retirement. We're going to let that slide. Yeah. That's sweet. I haven't experienced a lot of workplaces where people are. But it also may be like, uh, I don't know, like if, if you have a, like say your grandparent or your parent is failing and we're all, we're, but we're not talking about it yet. We're not talking about the fact that our brain is changing or, you know, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, And then of course, like the budgets, that's another example in the, in the office place um, where you're just working with a false belief um, that nothing is real in, in, in a really sad, this a sad, another sad example. It might be like the values of the company where everyone's like, well, oh. we all know that's what we say our values are. Yes. But that is not how but it that, plays out. We well, all know. I think and, that's pretty common actually. I know. Gross. And so in Papua New Guinea, yeah. they actually like, this is a really like even just the concept of Mokita is 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 something that you might even just talk about or encounter in a daily in a daily way. They actually judge the health of a community by the number of Mokitas it has. So more Mokitas, less, less healthy, healthy, right? So, oh god, this is true for relationships too. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there I read up on um there's that is so true, Susan. I'm sorry I didn't mean to skim over that. That's so true for relationships well, as I well. Also, I also am careful because you may get hit that okay. point later. But if like, I don't, let's come back to that. Because I wanted to down. say, like, in terms of leadership, this concept of, like, speak the Mokita. Speak the Mokita <sighs> is a concept. So where, you know, fearless leaders, um, I've heard, I read some stories like Sheryl Sandberg um, was like this, like, was like that fearlessly mm. i mean maybe there was some fear there but nonetheless speak the mokita so that we can get it out speak it constructively speak it honestly know. she's still p.s i don't know what i'm talking about but is i feel like that may have would you characterize her like that now i don't know oh. i don't know i have not kept up but i read about um this woman named kim scott who's credited for this concept called radical candor 
Oh, have you heard about that? I have. I've also I've heard it called radical honesty. Yeah. Yes, I yes. do know that. So she says, just talking about this. <laughs> yes. I, will, I was just talking about this. I was on the set. I was filming a, a episode of a TV show, and I was sort of in holding with this older actor, and this older actor, uh, you know, I introduced myself, and um, they were like, "Oh, yeah." Like we were just sort of like, I was like, I know you because I admired your work in Buh. And they were Aww. like, oh yeah, now how do, how would I know you? And I was, just, you know, said a little bit about what I had made and done. And they were like, oh, I, I saw that. I didn't like that. Now this is something I made. Like what, she was talking about title of show. She goes, uh, I saw that. I didn't like that. Huh. And then I was like, yeah, that's, I was like, I part of me was like, I don't give a fuck what this lady thinks, right. but I was also like, ugh, like to tell wow a maker's. I, I was just also, like, I didn't ask. Also, I didn't ask. Mm-hmm. She was all about that. She was all about like this radical candor. And then she goes, she goes, I saw that. I didn't like that. And I was like, oh yeah, we okay. also did this other show called Now Her This. And she goes, now what was that? She goes, oh no no no. I liked that one. I didn't like that one. Like she, I was like, oh, you are just a fucking fire hose of radical honesty. Um, and I, I sort of oh didn't, didn't give a shit. Uh, miraculously, so it didn't hurt funny. my feelings because I was just like, you're a little, it's part of me really aspires to this, yeah. really aspires to it. I don't think I'll get there in this lifetime. Uh, but it's it's simultaneously like when I see people exercise this radical candor, mm-hmm. and I've been with you know a, a handful of people that do this. Mm-hmm. Part of me is like, wow, that is really strong. It is yeah. a, it is an incredible position of strength. Yeah. And then part of me is like, you're a fucking dick. And there's certain yeah. things around. I'm like, is that your opinion that you're being radically candid with? Like that woman being like, I didn't like that. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I didn't like the other thing you made. Right. I was just like, I didn't ask you. And very easily that person can become a vampire. Absolutely. And stop you from being creatively self-expressed and free. I think it has to do with was that, was your opinion invited, sought after? If not... Your radical candor is for you. It's not for the other person. And I think that it can be just as destructive as it can be constructive. I think it's a really mixed bag. It has to be carefully it's done. so interesting. And I'm fascinated by this topic. Well, did we already talk about the the phrase, it's not for me? We uh, talked. We talk about it. Uh, Amy, right? In Amy Poehler's book, "Good for You, Not for Me." Good for right. you, not for me. That's right. Yeah. Good for you, not for me. Um, or just simply like it wasn't for me. I've had people say that. I yeah. saw that show of yours. Yes. It was really interesting. It's not for me. Pete, we also talked about it in, when Pete Holmes uh, was talking to John Mulaney and said, uh, talking about his failed TV show yes. Mulaney, and he said it wasn't for me. It's not for me. But he was. He didn't act like. Now that was a good example of. Mokita. That was a great example where John Mulaney would walk into a room yes. and everybody would they'd talk to him, but nobody was saying the thing. The thing. Yep. Nobody was saying it. It's so true. Mokita. Mokita. Mokita, girl. 
Um, so there's this new, like I said, like in leadership and in sort of the business area, speak the Mokita, which I think is an interesting um, concept, even in terms of like our relationships, our personal, interpersonal yeah. relationships and being like, you know, this is going to be my yeah. objective is to be honest. But um, but I was thinking in terms of the spark that, you know, it may not be great to have to like live in a in your culture, work culture, or your friend culture, where there's a lot of mojitas. They sure are good for storytelling. <sighs> they really, really are so good. So I think that um, like sometimes it can be like you see in like war movies, yeah. like the concept of hope. Like, I hope we make it out of here alive. Yeah. And meanwhile, the truth that they're not speaking yeah. is like... They're all going down this foxhole. making it. Yeah. yeah. We're fucked. Um, so there, you see that. And then, of course, family dynamics are fraught with it. You know, just concept of like, we all know Tom married below his status. We all know that. Yes. You know, we all know Barb is cheating on her husband. Yes. We all know our nephew attempted suicide. Yes. A little dark. Um, but it can be comedic. It can be dramatic. It's just juicy in yeah. a way. You it know, it, it makes for good storytelling, I think. Um, but then it's funny that you mentioned the um, John Mulaney thing because... And then I started thinking about Mokita in terms of, like I mentioned before, what if you're like when you're on the receiving end of not necessarily a truth that everyone knows, but it's a perception that everyone has agreed upon that maybe they're behaving as though it's truth. Okay. Like, like that, like everyone saw your show, it sucked yeah. and no one's saying anything yeah. or you know, you declare you're going to lose weight and and you see the shuffling eyes and like no one actually believes you're going to lose weight. Right. Or frankly, in our case of being an artist, how many people have been like, I want to be a writer. I'm going to be an actor. And there is kind of an unspoken like, we all know you're not going to make a living as an artist. No one's saying it but you can perceive it. And I think that's fucking frustrating because you're in this position, like you were saying, like with John Mulaney, you want to find someone and be like, am I, am I crazy? Because I'm sensing that people are acting like, like I'm crazy because I have a dream or because I have a vision or because I have a, a hope for my life. And in that case, I think that's fucking bullshit because that's not a truth that they know. That's a story they've told themselves yes. that they're all agreeing upon yeah. and they're acting because they feel better acting as though that's the truth. Yeah. And they've all, they're all not going to speak of it. So I don't know I, I really like, I've had moments like that in my life and it's really hurtful or when you're with a friend, like someone you deeply love and you say something, ah, I'm so excited. This is going to be a huge hit. Crickets. Yeah. And you're like, what? What is the thing? <laughs> What's the thing you're not saying? Um, so in that case, I think like Lokitas can really suck because they're not necessarily the truth. But yeah, but, it, but you're, there's def- a difference between like we mm-hmm. all know Barb's husband is having an affair. That's right. And he's been sleeping with his secretary. Does anybody have secretary? <laughs> he's been sleeping with his male executive assistant for 10 years. 
Uh, that's can just be a fact, Mm -hmm, but you're mm -hmm. talking about people solidifying perceptions into, you know, that's right. Because they think of them as fact. And I think that, um, that can be just as painful. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, I just, uh, obviously it got me thinking very way, very, you know, various ways that it creeps into our life and you just wonder like how many mojitas does my relationship have okay can i just ask you because mm-hmm. i've never heard this word until mm-hmm. this moment mm-hmm. um i've never heard this term or, or even the phrase speak the mojita are there like corporate workshops happening right now somewhere in the world where it's like this is a speak the mojita workshop or there's, is there like at home goods right now is there already like a pre-printed no. live laugh love <laughs> banner that says speak the mojita no, but I'm working how on one ubiquitous? right now. Like how how no, not very one? actually. Okay. I think that a few years ago, the reason I said I think it might have been a buzzword a few years ago is because I think there was a book that talked about mokitas oh. a few years ago. Okay, okay, okay. But then, in terms of like speak the mokita, I found that in one place. You know, as I was doing my digging, my deep dive into mokitas, um, I only found it in one place. Really? Yeah. And I and I I found other places where they were talking about that concept yes. of speaking honestly and that led to the radical candor, all of that stuff. Um but only one person said speak the mokita. And I and I thought that's a phrase that's that a, needs to be th- in there my you life. Go. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting it's an interesting concept and that radical candor concept. I also know somebody just an acquaintance, somebody I don't know well who was like the a year of radical honesty mm-hmm. and for mm-hmm. one year um mm. probably more uh it probably continued on but that i she may have written a book about it you know everywhere she went um little things big things like um just let me know if it's too cold in here it, it's too cold in here like that <laughs> sort of which i feel like i am too polite and midwestern right. right and i could stand to have a shot glass full of that yeah uh just yeah. injected into my veins but yeah i'm interested in it but i've never i have a passing interest in it but i've never taken the time to really be like i'm going to commit to this for 24 hours or mm-hmm. 48 hours or a week but i think like it's so difficult because i think even the people who ask for it aren't entirely sure they want it or it's not clear that know, they really Cam's. want it i don't know that Some, that's true yes. Tell me this. You've never, like, have you ever had a conversation with people like, I don't know what I want for lunch. Does anybody know? No, everyone. And we all play a game of like, I don't care whatever you want. I don't care whatever you want. And then someone chooses it. Have you ever I want ha- Pizza Hut, they <sighs> say. I can't believe, like, so she demanded to have pizza for lunch. Got it. But You're like, but you, you said like, if you, if you have, if you have a know, craving, I'm interested it. in, yeah. uh, it's funny. Uh, there is part of me that's like, um, I, it appeals to me very much. And then there's, because I, I do think it is badass. Absolutely. And I also think it sounds like an enormous pain in the ass because that's, yes. you've got to, if you're going to, you know, I love the, I, I love the idea of aspiring to it because if you can be like a person, like where your word is bond like mm-hmm. that and it's sort of like, well, she can but I don't because she can be kind of a dick, but you do know where you stand with her. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I I like I don't even think really about it like 
as someone being a dick, I just think, um, I think there might be an art form to using radical candor when it's helpful, when it's useful. And then other times where it's not worth wasting your time. It's not worth like opening up a can of worms with someone who you're like actually not interested in negotiating the temperature in the room with. Like it's not, maybe it's just not worth that. I need more of this in my life. I think I need more of it in my life. Just radical candor. Yeah, yeah, maybe, but let's be honest. We're going to finish recording this podcast, and I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm going to be on it. I will. I will speak you will? the truth. Yeah. Come on. We're never going to speak of it again. <laughs> you're going to be so full of shit. I think you're actually a really, really honest person already. Quite naturally. I don't know. I think dude. you might not realize I don't know. how. I don't know. Can't well, I'll say this. You're someone who I trust I'm, I, until now. Anyway, I trust that when you tell me something, you're telling me. I'm not just like, a giant bag of Makitas. Yes. I, I'm like, oh, Big Susan would tell me. Bullshit. Susan would tell me if this was a problem. Define it one more time for me. I want to hear the difference. It's a truth we all know, but agree not to speak about. Truth we all know, but agree not to speak about. Mokita, speak the mm-hmm. Mokita. Oh, the elephant in the room. That is badass. Uh, let's say someone walks in and they have had a really unfortunate plastic surgery uh, situation. Uh-huh. There's no not noticing it. Everyone in the room is aware. And no one's going to say anything. Um, maybe someone comes out of the bathroom with, you know, toilet paper hanging out of their pants Maybe someone will say something or maybe everyone will giggle and be like, I think it really depends for me. It really depends on the circumstance. I'm like really trying this on and it just really Mm -hmm. depends on the circumstance and uh, whether, what were you going to say? I was going to say though, this is different from, I know we talked about radical candor in relationship to it because, because my, my research on it led me to the woman who, is is um credited with radical candor right but that's not the same as mokita it's not they're not advocating you know you have to say everything got it got it got it got it it. did you ever see secrets and lies that mike lee movie do you remember that movie it was very celebrated ago where like you know there's all these (laughs) secrets and lies (laughs) as build that's the title but it's um you know like at by the end it's sort of like the guy has the one of the characters is just like enough like you know, and it all like it comes. all comes out but to your point about the way that it can live in literature, in, you know, oh screenplays and plays and, you know, yes. and, yeah, 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 yeah. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. I mean, you should obviously good storytellers use it. Because that was a big thing effect. for years, you know, for years, like in TV and mo- TV, especially like everybody had to have a secret. That's right. Everybody had to have a secret. That's why a show like Ozarks was so exciting because oh my God. it was the flip of that where yes. the minute you were like, he's got so many secrets building up, he just says, he speaks the Mokita over That's and over right. and over again. And then the, it's written <gasps> in such a fun Bateman. way where I know Jason mm. Bateman was one of my first crushes. Really? Yeah. He was on a show called It's Your Move. He was a child actor. And was he, I believe Ernie Sabella played the like the janitor or the custodian in his building. And oh they my were like, God. sort of like frenemy adversaries. And he was, from the time he was a child, I was like, you are so fucking hot. Wow. Jason Bateman, if Jason you're listening, and I'm sure Bateman. you're not. Mm. I know you're very happily married to your lovely wife. Which just makes you even more fabulous. Oh my God. Just so wonderful. My Nathan, 
who I also love very my much. Nathan. Was, uh, my Nathan was at an event. He was filming an event a while back for a movie that Jason Bateman, I think, directed and maybe starred in. And he talked about how he's one of those people that he can get like a, like a two page monologue mm-hmm. like that morning, but, 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 but he, and have and it memorized just like go. that and walk on a set. And I heard that mm. and it made me want to punch him in his beautiful face. Mm. I wish you love, but I love him. him. I think he's so talented. So talented. Hi, but Jason. you're totally right about that show. And that is like, he speaks yeah. to Mokita. That's right. Every time you think like, Oh, this is going to be the secret that we're going to follow. He's in a follow. scrape and he's never going to get yeah, out of the scrape because be of the like secret. Multiple episodes. Yeah. No, just the next scene is like, yeah. Did you watch the second season of that? Mm-hmm. Oh, I haven't seen it all. Mm-hmm. Does he speak the Mokita? Does do they continue? Oh, they doing continue that? absolutely. I loved it. I love the way they turned that form on its head. Yeah. I loved yeah. that. Did I tell you that um, our dear friend John Ort won like the big casting award for Ozark? Congratulations and well done, John Ort. John Ort. I'm sure you are. Not I'm sure you're not listening. To this, but if you are, you know what? You just got to shout out. Um, but impressive work well on that. Well done, Speak the Makita. Anything else to Speak know about that? Speak the Makita, girl. That should have, like, that could have been my title, I guess. In retrospect. There you go. Speak. We're going to be selling the uh, Mokita. We're going to be selling oh. beautiful canvas prints in the lobby. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need a break? Can yeah. we roll on? I'm, I'm ready to roll. Well, let's roll on. I, I peed before we started and I don't have to pee yet. Um, <laughs> my spark. I have been so excited to share this. <laughs> you have goddamn not spark been able to contain you. this spark because I want to talk to you about it okay. and I want to share Here it with go. you. Oh, I'm settling in. But this is the the core of the spark. Okay. The title of the spark. The theme song of my spark. <laughs> it is the sweet, simple things of life, which are the real ones after all. Oh. It is the sweet, simple things of life, which are the real ones after all. That's a quote from our homegirl, Laura Ingalls Wilder. Oh, yes. Yes, girl. Yes. So most of us have heard, have heard of Laura Ingalls Wilder. <sighs> She's the author of the Little House series. That's Little House mm. on the Prairie, Little House in the Big Woods, Long Winter, on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Those books were the original spark for Heck my yes. spark today um, because those books have oh. restocked my fish pond. Oh my God. Oh my God. I did not read the books as a child. Did you read the books as a child? I did. You did? I did. Oh mm-hmm. really? I think after seeing the show though, I mean, of course. Oh, you saw the TV show. Fell in love with the show <laughs> and then like could not get enough. So went back sure. and read the books. So yeah. it was like seeing the Harry Potter movies and then going back and reading the original. That's right. The source material. That's right. Somehow I grew up, I'm oh, sorry, I hit my mic. I grew up in, <laughs> I grew up uh, uh, in rural, rural on the prairie, and somehow I missed those books. I was growing up in Kansas. Okay, Did, if you if you think for a second that Sounds I didn't think specific. those books were about me, You're like <laughs> I am Laura Ingalls Wilder. Um, I missed those books, and oh. then I lived in New York City for decades, and that <gasps> is when I started reading those books. Are you kidding? No, girl. They were like a little staycation when the city was just wearing me out. Oh, those books were like God. a fresh fucking breeze. They were very restorative to me. Yeah, yeah. The writing is for me what I th- think mm. of as the very best of what I call penny words, which is, oh. um, it's the, when you you could if you could use a big long SAT word or you could use a a penny word a nickel a dime word like a word that's one or two syllables yeah very simple language 
opt for the penny word. Yes. Yeah. Um, so those books are the best of, oh. of penny words to me. It's all about the sweet, simple things in life, the sun and the wind on the prairie grass mm. and calico and long days of hard work. And then play in the fiddle at night. Um, oh. Here's a pro tip. Cherry Jones, the great Broadway yes. actress, Cherry oh, yeah. Jones, who also plays the president on everything, mm-hmm. on every TV show. Cherry Jones reads the audiobooks, and she is Are you kidding? Perfection. Oh, it holy is, she is moly. Perfect. Because she grew up somewhere down south. It's in A, Arkansas, Alabama. I don't remember where she's from. Really? Yeah. And she... Oh my God, she's so charming. She's so good. Look into it if you Jotting need a staycation. I do. It's so good. Um, so I really wanted to share the spark because this really has been something that has, yes, I came to it as an adult, but it's been something that has really um, been refreshing to me. And mm-hmm. then I started digging and I realized this spark is so much sparkier than I ever imagined. <laughs> so much of the spark I'm going to share with you was handed to me by an amazing person named Christopher Chaika, who is awesome. And Thank he is you, Christopher. passionate about this subject really? matter. Yep. The bulk of this, what I'm about to share with you comes directly from him. Awesome. And he's been super sparked by this subject matter since second grade. Wow. And I actually, I didn't want to tell you till now, but I would like to have him as a guest on this oh, podcast yes. because his passion Welcome. for this is is specific and it is sparkish. Okay. Yeah. It's re- I, I find it, it really fun and really inspiring. Oh my God. Um, in addition to Christopher Chaka, other sources um, include an article by Chuck Mallory on medium.com and an article in the New Yorker by Judith Thurman. Um, trigger warning. Okay. If you love Little House and Laura Ingalls Wilder, this may be if you if you stumbled onto our podcast <laughs> because you searched for podcast with Laura Ingalls Wilder in the description, this may be a very controversial episode for you. Oh. And if you are listening with young children or diehard bonnet heads, you may want to earmuffs. Oh. Um so really? Yeah. So here we go. Laura Ingalls Wilder was a real person who lived from 1867 to 1957. And she lived all over the Midwest with her family. 2017 was the 150th anniversary of her birth. So there was a real surge in like coverage and mm-hmm. interest in her. And there are, there are several layers of who she is in the popular consciousness. She is represented as a fictional character in the Little House books. And they mm-hmm. were written as autobiographical mm-hmm. novels. Mm-hmm. She was... Uh, TV show character on the NBC TV show played by Melissa Gilbert. Mm-hmm. Um, Melissa Gilbert doesn't really look like Laura Ingalls at all. Uh, and the show, Chris Chica said this, and I was like, no, it's true. The show is really more about the 1970s and 1980s than it is about the 1870s and the 1880s. Oh, and if you go back and look at it, you're like, yeah, it kind of like is. the like the messages, the, the subject matter, themes like, and meanings. Like little what's his name is a, is addicted to uh, morphine. Like like very special episodes. It's interesting. very interesting. Okay, um, Laura Ingalls wow. Wilder has also been a quintessential symbol of the American West and sort of a larger yeah. than life emblem for an entire era. So there's many different layers. Yet you think. Laura and her stories are just a shiny, golden, delicious apple, but she's more like an onion. There's mm. so much more going on than meets mm-hmm. the eye. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things I'm obsessed with, and it's something that I like to talk to with our, um, I almost said clients, our guests about, <laughs> our corporate clients, um, 
I'm obsessed with the idea of how it looks on the outside versus yeah. what's going on on the inside. Mm -hmm. Like, so you're a movie star and you walk mm -hmm. the red carpet and you're, you know, you're beautiful and you're beautifully dressed. That's what it, we all know what it looks on the outside. Yeah. What's, how's it feel on the outside? I'm interested in that sort yes. of, um, uh, juxtaposition. Yes. Like that tension. I'm interested yes, in that. Yes. So the image, the Laura Ingalls Wilder image many of us have is of this older woman sitting down at her writing desk and writing these stories about her girlhood that just flowed out of her pen. And then she sent them off to get them published and they became worldwide bestsellers. Oh, and so I sometimes easy. think myths like that, like images like that really fuck us as creative yeah. people because oh it's God. sort of like, Oh, it's like that, that stuff. And I don't know JK Rowling, but like that she was like uh, a single mom and she had her baby next to her in, in the, the coffee shop and mm -hmm. she just wrote Harry Potter on the back of a napkin and it That's flowed from right. her. And I'm like, let's not oversimplify this. Like, yeah. uh, just like the work and the, anyway. Yes. Yes. So I think that those kind of, um, fantasies about how easy and flowing it is for people and how like pastoral, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it, I'm sort of like, don't, don't believe the myth. Um, so let's peel back some onion layers. By the time she sat down to write the books, Laura, I'm just going to call her Laura because I don't want to say Laura Ingalls Wilder, had already been writing professionally. She had a widely read column in a farm newspaper a bi-weekly column, and every once in a while, her daughter Rose, who was also a writer, would pass on a writing assignment to her mom. So because of mm. that, Laura had articles in McCall's and Women's Day. Um, so Laura's mother died in 1924, and then her sister Mary, remember Mary? Oh, Mary, Mary. Blind Mary died in 1928, and that's when Laura started gathering these memories and recipes and stories. Sorry. So she was like in her... 1928? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's and right. And she was born in 1850-something? So she was in her late 50s or 60s. I did the math because I was like, how old yeah. was she? Yeah, so she was wow. older, but she was okay. already writing. Yeah, know? yeah. So the first Little House type thingy Laura wrote was a book-length memoir, which was just published five years ago, and it's called Pioneer Girl. And mostly it's sort of just like, this happened then this happened, hmm. then this happened, and then little flashes, little shimmers of that beautiful writing mm -hmm. that make my heart go mm. pity-pat and fill me back up. But nobody wanted to publish it when it was an original memoir for an adult audience. So, ah, yeah. I see where you're going. See? So then Laura took... So this is, some mm -hmm. is about... this. You think this is a tenacity story? Yeah. You think this is a, like, continuing to evolve and, and hone and polish story? Just you wait, mm -hmm. just you wait. Mm -hmm. So she then took the beginning of Pioneer Girl and fashioned it into something called When Grandma Was a Little Girl. And then that became Little House in the Big Woods, the first oh. of the Little House books. Little House in the Big Woods was a huge mm. success. And it was for a um, younger audience. Mm -hmm. And her daughter Rose had the idea to release a book a year following the life of that heroine. Wow. And and it was heroine, uh, Laura was the heroine from the beginning, right? Correct. And all of her family members were represented, like Correct. Mary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. The, but, but as you go, like babies are born and yep. things like that. Yep. Mm -hmm. So last year, a biography called Prairie Fires came out and it's a very warts and all mm. jam. It's debated how much the Laura character actually 
in the books shares with the real Laura Ingalls oh, Wilder. Okay. Now, a lot of people look at these books as emotional soul food. That is Christopher Chico's term, which I thought was such a, I was like, yes, that's exactly the feeling that's that it right. gives me, mm-hmm. emotional soul food. Mm-hmm. A lot of people look at the books as this emotional soul food, um, and they think of the Ingalls family as being as real as their own families or the families that they wished that they had. Oh my God, yes. Um, readers of those books idealize the time, but their real lives were wretched mm. and difficult and have been painted with a very loving brush. Mm-hmm. Um, pa, Charles Ingalls, yeah. uh, uh, just picture Michael Landon, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. I thought was so fucking sexy. Yeah. God so bless. Handsome. Um, Paul, the, in real life, had a real wanderlust and he moved the family a lot. They didn't just live uh, and pioneer it up in Walnut Grove, Minnesota. In her life, Laura lived in 10 or 11 different places. Wow. So, yeah. So like Paul would be like, I, uh, this place, I, there's a neighbor two miles away. There's a neighbor 10 miles away. I'm curious. We better move on, Caroline. Well, I'm curious to know, like, how did that um, relate to other people in that in that time like period. were other people doing that as well yeah no, i don't know they're looking for the right spot on the river Christopher you know yeah yeah i'm yeah, just yeah. curious he can tell us okay <laughs> write that down <laughs> christopher remember that for christopher um but the ingles family moved 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 uh-huh. moved and kept rebuilding like there are so that many cabin over and God, over again there are so many museum and homes like museum <gasps> sites historic sites no yes because they kept moving and rebuilding and she little cabins here. and she lived here that's right and she lived here. Yeah, there's a lot. So, I see a road trip. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I'm not Can kidding. Can we get one of those airstreams that's like totally decked on the Can inside? Can we bring this show on the road and tour every one of the cities? Yes. That, that <laughs> and they Laura. just throw rotten fruit at us for, for besmirching the name of Laura Ingalls Wilder. We're sorry. Um, so... The Ingalls family lived in absolute grinding poverty, bordering mm. on bankruptcy and malnutri- malnutrition. But it was turned into this very pastoral story. Um, so now we know better. And that book, mm-hmm. Pioneer Girl, shed light mm-hmm. on somebody wrote on any remaining dark corner. Apparently, Pa Ingalls and the family skipped town in the middle of the night when he couldn't pay his debts. Oh. An entire two years of Laura's childhood were purged to avoid the fact that Mary and Laura worked at a hotel where an alcoholic man caught himself on fire and another man tried to grope Laura. Well, hang on. I know these are children's books. Yeah, but also I wonder, like, is there some some standard that we're holding them to because they are like loosely autobiographical. I don't hold them to that standard. I'm like, make whatever you want out of whatever you That's want. Right. Like it's your life experience. Re, if redream you wanna, it. And I also was talking to, um, when Chris was telling, when Chris Chica was telling me this, I was like, but wait a second. Our family didn't have money and our, like, I grew up in a kooky, like dirty house, but that's what I knew. And I felt very loved. That's right. And, and I was like, maybe that's what she was representing is that feeling of, of love. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's so it's had okay. Everything like, we it, need. this is, these are, I'm no, I'm not saying that there yeah. should be a chapter depicting all of, yeah. you know, the stuff. No, I know you're not, but I'm curious, like, is there some, some, like this prairie fires and people, are people like, um, <laughs> I'm imagining 
pitchforks are they out there <laughs> villagers protesting <laughs> the villagers protesting saying this isn't true um i don't I know just find I, it curious down. ask chris Rochega. christopher get on, on this the show list. hurry up um, we need you all of that is to say n- none of that stuff was included in the books that de- it, the books depict a family who moved through hard times mm-hmm. with unrelenting spirit and drive that's right and i'm like that is appropriate for a children's book and that can still be true even if it fucking sucked yeah her perspective is that (laughs) fucking sucked did we get through this with perseverance by sticking together by all those things yeah 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 yeah. no i don't i want to be clear i don't i i think actually there's something so beautiful Mm -hmm. about taking I think about my own work and my own writing and how I've taken, I've sort of like hand selected those pieces. Some of them are sweet. Some of them are bittersweet that I, it, no, it doesn't tell the whole story. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't, but it's the part of, it's the story I want to tell. And it's my work and I get to do whatever the fuck I want. Whatever you want. Whatever you want. Um, So Laura may have had, to this point, wonderful relationships with her family, but the real life was actually very tough. She did say that her father was no businessman. He was never a failure as a father, but he was a failure at everything else. Which when we think of Sweet Pa, when we think of Charles, when we think of Michael Landon, Landon, we want to think of this like... He was good at being a friend. But he was good at neighbor, everything. He was good at building a, uh, a cabin every other year, like providing, yeah, hunting, gathering. But all that's of it. those are yeah. tough words. He was never a failure as a father. Sweet. He was a failure at everything else. Rough. Um, but it's really come to light that wow. Laura Ingalls Wilder was a tough, tough cookie. Wow. Yeah, not just a sweet old lady, lady at a writing desk. She mm-hmm. was a tough cookie and also that she had a stormy relationship with her daughter rose oh another tough cookie really Uh so some have complained some critics lovers of laura ingles water (laughs) have complained that a huge chunk of the book prairie fires is about laura's daughter rose but the story of the little house books is very closely tied to rose Yes, everybody likes the sunbonnets and the sun and the wind on the prairie grass, but then you add in a very opinionated, potentially lesbian daughter. <gasps> what? What? Yeah, you think this is a story about perseverance? Oh, and- it's not that. <laughs> Apparently. The next chapter of the spark is, we need to talk about Rose. <laughs> so Rose Wilder Lane. <laughs> Was born in 1886, and she lived until 1968. She is the daughter of Almanzo and Laura Ingalls Wilder. Um, Growing up, Rose's parents were dirt poor. Now think of that. Those books have earned, left, sold, and sold internationally. How is it possible they were dirt poor? Because she didn't start writing them. Laura didn't start writing them until she was like in her 60s. But Rose must have. Oh, I Rose's see. So when parents, Rose Laura, was growing up, they were poor. Yes, they were. And then yes. the money came in. Yeah, okay. they're living okay. in this town, small town in Missouri, um, and this is the town where Laura spent the last sixty years of her life. It's in the south, in Mansfield, Missouri, and so daughter Rose was insanely intelligent, and it is thought now by some that she would have she would be diagnosed as bipolar. 
Mm. Rose would be mm-hmm. hot, but maybe they didn't have that term. I don't know. So Rose was mercilessly picked on at school, oh. and she was too smart for her own good. And so she stopped going to school in the sixth or seventh grade because they had no more to teach her, and she had read all the books in the library. And they were like, we got no more for you. You're good. So Almanzo's sister, Rose's aunt, took her to Louisiana and enrolled her in high school there. And then when she completed that, Rose came back um, to Missouri for the summer after high school. And she was like, hey, no. And she pieced right on out of there. Wow. Um, Chris Chaika, who is a passionate He's super passionate about this. He has visited Mansfield, Missouri, and he says when you talk to people about Rose, they say things like, she was nice. She mm. was different. I smell a mojito. <laughs> That's the name of your segment. I smell a mojito. Can we go back and put that in and post? Um, so Rose then moved to Kansas City to become a telegraph operator, and then she became this globe-trotting journalist. Oh, and just like her grandfather, Pa Charles Ingalls, she had a wanderlust, and she, mm. yeah. So she, you know, she lived around the world. She had many languages, as they say, um, spoke many languages. She wrote. She was she was tasked with writing the authorized biographies of Charlie Chaplin, Herbert Hoover, Jack London, and she would spice them up by writing these fictionalized passages to make it more exciting. Until the subject, like Charlie Chaplin, would call her and be like, "I've read these pages. What this never happened." And she was, "Yeah, but it's more exciting, Charlie. So much more interesting." I think it was the the family of like the family or estate of Jack London was like cease and desist. Really, after she. She had been given permission to write uh-huh. the book. Authorized autobiographer. Wow. Authorized biographer. Wow. You know what I'm saying. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So she had a bit huh. of the, she had a bit of the Blarney. Fiction writing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> there's, the there's a book called The Libertarians on the Prairie. Here's another fun fact. Mm. Rose is credited as one of the founders of the Libertarian Party. Whoa. And she was big buddies with Ayn Rand. Like this what? is who, what, yeah, this is what we're talking about here. Like she came from Poduncus, Missouri, and she is this like, really intelligent, really like spiky, savvy, world-traveling writer, and um, I don't know. Was her name just Rose Wilder? It, she, it was Rose Wilder Lane, I believe. Oh. She, after, yeah, she was, she was mm-hmm. married once for a time <laughs> to a man. Um, so the New, York, the New Yorker article said of Rose, the transformation of a barefoot Cinderella from the Ozarks into a stylish cosmopolite who acquired several languages, enjoyed smoking and fornication, and dined at Le Rotonde when she wasn't motoring around Europe in her Model T is, like the Little House books, an American saga. Wow. I'm like, yes, the Little House books are phenomenal and I love them, but there are other good stories (laughs) in the Wilder family. So Daughter Rose had moved to New York to become a big, sophisticated New Yorker. And she invested all of Laura and Almanzo's money in the stock market right before it crashed. <gasps> yeah, sucks balls. Oh. And she was trying to provide her parents with a degree of financial security so that they wouldn't have to live on. They had like a small family apple farm, I think. So Rose was encouraging her mother to write more. Oh. Now, this is where it gets tricky. Mm-hmm. It is generally accepted that Rose had an editorial hand in the creation of the Little House books. 
Oh. Depending on who you speak to, she either took her mother's notes and typed them up, or <gasps> she took the manuscripts and rewrote them, or some believe they were written outright by Rose. What? What? This is where we start getting hate mail. Um, what? Yeah. Yeah. I'm upset. Yeah. What? Now, hang on. There has to be some evidence and proof that Laura Ingalls Wilder mm-hmm. wrote those books. Mm-hmm. So some people actually think, no, Rose me, fabricated. Yes, t- please continue. tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. So um, it is acknowledged that none of these books would have been published if Rose hadn't had all her contacts in the publishing world. I see. Let me start with okay. that. Okay, okay. There is a gentleman named William Anderson who's a historian and the author of several books on Laura. He began working at the at Laura's homestead, I don't know which of the 11, as a teenager <laughs> and even corresponded with Rose, Laura's daughter. Anderson was the first to discover that Laura's books didn't quite align with the truth, though Rose hushed him up. Every word was absolutely true, she asserted. So Rose was like, no, 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 it's all true, and my mother wrote them, oh, apparently. Oh, which would be an important thing to convince people of. Well, especially if you're a journalist who, like, writing a book for kids is kind of like, not, it's, it's a yes. little bit of like a, maybe not now, but then it would be a little bit of like a, just tarnish your reputation That's as a right. journalist, maybe. That's serious. Um, huh. So the manuscript for the Laura Ingle Wilder's book, The First Four Years, was found amidst Rose's papers after Rosa died. And apparently it's kind of dreadful. It's not well written. The characters seem a little off. And the theory is that Laura, this is Laura's unvarnished, unimproved work. And that Rose may have left it behind as a kind of a, like a gotcha. A little bit of proof. A little bit of proof. Um, So as I was saying. Laura died before her mom. Correct. I mean, no, No. Laura died before Rose. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. I I think that's right. So, um, as I was saying, when they were being written, children's books were seen at, at that time, mm-hmm. it would have been seen as slumming a little bit. Mm-hmm. And Rose was already a pretty highly regarded author. And so that working on them or acknowledging her work on them could have tarnished her image as an author. Um, but this just adds to the complexity of who mm. actually wrote those books. So there is such a deep love for the books and the idea of Laura Ingalls Wilder that a lot of people who care about the books a lot, they do not like to hear about no. the role that Rose played in their creation. Any role at all. Exactly. They're just like, oh, yeah. Man. So the editor of the 2015 release of that book, Pioneer Girl, which was the first, first thing that Laura wrote, mm-hmm. said the relationship with editors and authors has potentially changed over the last 20 years. And what Rose was doing with Laura was potentially more in line with what editors used to do when they worked with authors back in the day. And I also, in talking with Christopher, Mm. I was like, is it possible that she took liberties because of the familiarity of a mother-daughter relationship that she could just be like, mom, just give it to me. Let me just, that's right. Let me just judge this a little bit. Um, Mm. But I'm sort of like, I know people have a deep abiding love of those books and I guess it would be like if you found, like I love the Harry Potter books and I guess it'd be like if you found out that somebody else had uh, contributed to or took it, took first drafts and subsequently did improvements. But I'm sort of like, I kind of, I find it deeply interesting. And I also, 
I don't care because I'm just like, I still get the pleasure out of it. Yeah. And then I just get a deeper story about this really interesting daughter and this really interesting mother-daughter dynamic. Mm. So I kind of don't give a shit. Do you have a thought? Yeah. I just think, um, I think it has to do with how much you emotionally bought into the idea of these books really being her life story. Yeah. If you know they're not quite her life story to begin with, it doesn't feel that bad that it would be her daughter who would, you know, flesh out what's not quite her life story. Yeah. And it's from family memories and it just makes a great tale. And these are great characters and great stories and great. It's Love really, it. It's easy for me to believe like that there, she made like very, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened notes. Mm-hmm. And then like a, sorry, a more, uh, maybe a more sophisticated writer could take them and turn them into, Mm. and as we know, Rose had a penchant for punching it up. Uh She could punch it up. Punching it up. Um, And those, those like, I just remembered the feeling of, um, not too heavy handed, uh, messages and lessons to be learned in there, but not, not hit over the head, you know, in a way like it just felt, yeah. Mm. The tr- the fact is, whoever oh. wrote them, whoever wrote them, they have a very high sparkometer reading. Yes, they do. The books have sold 34 million copies, 34 wow. million copies in 71 countries. Mm. This work has inspired, of course, the TV series. That's right. Which has, Little House on the Prairie has been on the air somewhere every day since it first aired Holy in the 1970s. Um, Laura's many prairie homesteads are shrines with droves of fans and homeschooled kids and wealthy Japanese visitors oh my God. going to them every kids, year. Of course. Um, Laura's adult home near Mansfield, Missouri has 40,000 visit- 40, visitors a year. Wow. If every single one of you would listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, just rate, review, subscribe. Um, have you ever, oh another f- fucking, have you ever watched um, on YouTube, there's something called The 32nd Little House? No. Do you know that series? No. Some genius did a thing. It, it It's literally, it's called 32nd Little House and it's, Many episodes of Little House on the Prairie in 30 edited seconds. down to 30 seconds. Oh, so if you shit. are familiar with the series, and you are, then that is a fun pleasure. And it has a lot of like boy-yo-yoing sounds and stuff <laughs> like that. Um, there's a thing called Laura Palooza, which is like a <clears throat> big, oh my God. yes, it's exactly what you think it is. Wait, is it people in costume um, living in some, that era? There's some there's some of that. And then there's also some people that are just like, I love those books and I love this vest that's covered with patches kind of stuff. Um, hardcore fans are called bonnet heads, which I refer (laughs) to. I just want to read this quote from the New York times. I love this quote. Both swaths of the American electorate lay claim to the Little House mythology and the blueprint the books offer. Oh. For every grown-up Little House fan who's now an artisanal pickle maker with a backyard composter, there's another who's an evangelical homeschooler dreaming of living off the land and off the grid. Holy shit. It's there's something for everybody. It's so in these true. Books. And freaking off the grid and the movement. Yeah. You know, in the last few years. Um of people like dreaming of, of yeah, homesteading and farming and getting off the grid, just mm-hmm. like self-reliance, That's zero right. carbon emission, baby. That's right. So 
It is the sweet, simple things of life, which are the real ones after all. Maybe, or maybe it's the bittersweet, messy, complex things in life that are the real ones after all. That's the real fucking deal. Or maybe it's all of it. Maybe it's the calico and the prairie breezes and the butter churning and (laughs) the globe-trotting, bless you, ghost-riding, bipolar, potentially (laughs) lesbian daughters. And as far as I'm concerned, all of it is so full of sparks. It's even better. It's even better. It's the truth. It's real. Yeah. I mean, the best is like, that a person with a complicated life, both Laura yeah. and Rose, yeah, uh, that Look either one of them of made that. Look yes. what they made out of it. Uh, I know. Do you think Rose wanted people to know? No. She didn't. Even unless after they last, were huge successes? No, I don't. I, I, unless that, like, leaving that un like mm-hmm. completely unedited manuscript was Here's her my mom's was work. her was her bye her final mm-hmm. like peace out like mm-hmm. maybe that was like a little but that's that's conjecture chris chica can tell us otherwise when we talk to him but like i think she was living her big life i think that yeah. rose was just like living her big life and helping her you know did they get Mom, did dad. they get super wealthy in their lifetime or or she took the money and then they lost it in the stock market? Just, no, no, no. Oh, no. Okay. I think that they made uh, some then bank. Made money. And yeah. and uh I don't know. Oh, I think I think Rose left her stake um, because rose inherited a lot of money from this and i feel like it got i'm gonna fuck this up i feel like it got left to like a friend because she didn't have any kids oh interesting yeah and she was an only child i think Uh is that possible is that possible i'm not sure i don't remember reading about another kid so I'm, I don't interesting. know. I'm not a historian. I'm just trying to. I'm just a lady trying to make a podcast. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you, this is this. I've been so excited to share this with you because this is sort of after our last spark about how I broke up with my cell phone and my cell phone is, yes. kept, is trying to yeah. kill me. Yeah. Um, that freaked my shit out, and I was just like, I am not loving my relationship with my screens. And Mm. so Nathan and I have been consciously trying to like, because our default will be, we'll work all day and then at night we'll eat dinner and then we'll watch television. That's right. And there's great TV. There's this is so much. There's so much that's so good. But just trying a couple nights a week to not do that and to break that and either like sit at the dining room table and do a craft next to each other or whose little house now Um. but we've been here you go (laughs) we've been reading the little house books out loud to each other oh i just love that you read out loud to each other i think it's the sweetest do you know why why it's something we can do together and i if i read if i read to myself i fall asleep I can't stay awake. Interesting. I can't read anymore. It's true. I get tired. Oh my God. And I might be like, oh, I'm so excited. I'm like, 
fully awake and ready to read. And then it's fun because we read and we pause and we're like, can you believe they're batting around a pig's bladder around? As a balloon? <laughs> That's crazy. And then we'll keep reading again. Oh, but it's really, it's um, so good. it gives me a really peaceful feeling, those books. Mm-hmm. And so I don't give a shit who wrote them because um, either way. Yeah. But wow, that's one of literary's big mysteries, huh? Maybe it's not so much of a mystery anymore. Wow. Yeah. When was that? When when did she die? 68? Wait, let me go to the I top mean, of that's my notes. people have been maybe analyzing this for quite some time. Oh, Rose died in 68. Yeah. She died uh And that's when born. someone was like, "Hey, here's her mom's work." Hmm. Um, she oh, and Laura w- lived from 1867 to 1957. That's amazing. Yeah, that's my spark. That's I'm not kidding about the road trip. I say I'm down to clown. That yeah, sounds like fun. Seriously, and I think there might be some really good like antique stores along the way. Oh, this has really turned into Grandma's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> And this is Grammy Cam signing out. Oh my God. I bet there are some good. Well, yeah. Some, you know, do you ever drive down? This is totally off topic, but do you ever drive like those long stretches of road and like out of nowhere it'll be like um, flea market or antique shop, 70 vendors or whatever? And you're just like, I'm in the middle of Florida and I'm two hours from any city. Yeah. What the hell could be in here? Yeah. Do you ever stop? Yeah, I do. I, I'm putting on my bucket list to stop more. I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it. Mm-hmm. I have taken to, um, especially when I'm traveling to teach, mm-hmm. I will map out like all the thrift stores within yes. like whatever driving, walking distance or whatever that I can get to. And I'll just visit but the problem is getting shit home yeah. sometimes yeah but i have been known to buy a like a rubbermaid tub and <gasps> fill it and check it as my checked bag. oh my god yeah. that's serious it is it's serious that is business fucking awesome i have a problem I used to travel a lot internationally for work. Yeah. And I would do the same. I'd what? Like, figure out, like, is there a flea market? That's is there serious. Because, of course, I want to, like... You want treasures. Just treasures that you just wouldn't find anywhere. Yeah. Uh, one time I found um, this amazing pair of sunglasses that was, like, pre-Berlin Wall. Oh, like, shit. You know, and I was like, wow, these these are amazing. And I took them home, and I went... <laughs> so dumb i was like paddle boarding with those sunglasses on in the gulf of mexico laura i we can't have nice things fell down i was like these did the ocean eat your sunglasses yes they survived the berlin wall coming down (laughs) but they did not survive (laughs) one paddle boarding trip with me one oh boo yeah that's why I really can't have nice things. That's really cool. But though. I do like if you go like I, it's just something I didn't think of when I you know yeah. first started traveling. I and love then it. I was like, what the hell? I will also doing? like if I have to if I'm driving to um, someplace that I'm teaching or something, I will say it's like a three hour drive. I'll route it. I'll like map the route, yeah. and then I will 
like look for thrift stores on the way and I will break up the trip by thrifting yes. on the way there. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and it helps me to like yes. look forward to the, cause I don't love driving, but I do it the next stop and, and I do like it. And you know what you discover, and I'm not going to say it on this podcast because I don't want you to fish my, you actually my can't holes. fish in those ponds. Don't, don't fish those spots. <laughs> um, but there are places in this United, in these United States that are really superior for thrifting. Mm-hmm. Really superior. Period. But we can't speak of them. Nope. Sorry, suckers. That is hilarious. Find your own All fishing All the spots. ideas are free for the taking. But not those. Except where but to listen, find my mid-century you know, pieces. If you know of a great place to find, <laughs> um, I really am interested in the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s. And if you know of a good place for me oh, to thrift, please share I, with no, us. Email me at thesparkfile at gmail.com. <laughs> and I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm gonna keep it to my. I'm gonna keep it to myself because I can keep a secret. A mid-century fishing hole is what we're looking for, uh, and if you know of one, I'm please. Obsessed. <laughs> Do we have anything else? Should we let these people go about their we business? We should let them go. You they need to get been, to work. I know you need. If you're done with that workout now, you oh, can, that's right. Um, you can just enjoy your. You're day. almost done waxing the floor. <laughs> I. Thought you were waxing something else, but that's okay. <laughs> oh my. Um, we hope that this put another bunch of sparks in your file. That's but seriously, right. if there, if you want to tell us about a thrift store that we should visit, um, or if there's a spark that you'd like us to explore, or if you have a spark you'd like to share, mm-hmm. won't you email us at the spark file at Please. gmail.com. Um, and be sure to sub- subscribe. Mm-hmm. Like me. Mm-hmm. I can't say it. I'll be say sure it. to subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Subscribe, rate, Review, you sons of oh, bitches. bitches. Listen up. If something tickles your fancy and gets your creative juices flowing, it's your turn now to take a spark and fan that little baby into a Listen flame. Listen to me. You've got to write it, recite it, freaking see it, go on and be it. Just go on, take it and, and make, make it. it. Bye. The spark file. The spark file. When I bump into something that inspires me. I dump it in my spark file Could be something that I want to make Or how I want to be I pump it in my spark file I jump into my spark file Let's open up the spark Hi friends, it's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one-stop shop for creativity where our doors are open. And if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free five-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality energy and possibility in your creative process. Whether you're a writer, a performer, a baker, a candlestick maker, navigating the creative process can be a bear. But never fear, there's power in numbers at the Spark File. So let's link arms and make the trip together. It's May 13th through 17th, 7 p.m. Eastern, less than one hour per day. And if you can't join live, don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with the Spark File, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so 
fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the Brave Creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th. thesparkfile.com. Register now. Thank you.